welcome to Superfancast. My name is Chris. I'm joined by Matt, and this is season one, episode four of The Verve. Yeah, and uh, after two weeks, I'm starting to, to see Richard Ashcroft as some kind of Jedi ghost telling me weird wisdom because he's he's very uh, interesting, uh, charismatic character. <laughs> I can't get him out of my head sometimes. So I'm I'm glad that we've got these two weeks over. So I can have a break from Ashcroft. <laughs> have a break from him now. Yeah. Yeah, he's very full on, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's he's uh, he's mesmerising, you know, in a weird way. Just 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 him talking in interviews. Yeah, he's, not he's so much got now, this. Though. Have you seen Have you seen recent interviews with him? Yeah, he's he's a lot more subdued now. Yeah. Um, now that he's shaved his head, he's lost a lot of his charisma with with shaving his head. Oh uh, yeah, a bit like like Samson. <laughs> yeah, exactly like Samson. Yeah. So is that all you've, yeah. for two weeks that all you've listened to is Richard Ashcroft? I've been listening to The Verb, but then they've only got four albums, which is uh, a bit of a break from last time with Mogwai's ridiculous catalogue of, yeah. of music. You know, I'm a huge sucker for um, for bands with really good names. Yeah. So a friend of mine was like, you got to check out King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. I'm really impressed with these guys, and I think I might um, make them my new obsession um, so they've been around since 2010, 2011, and they've done 18 studio albums. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't yeah. realise they'd done that much. Yeah, um, five of which was in the same year. Um, they've done, okay. like... That sounds, a little mu- bit, that sounds a little bit buckethead, that does. Where they just jam sessions. Well, they, some of them are. I mean, they do uh, microtonal jazz and psychedelic rock and uh, all sorts of weird stuff. And they use microtonal guitars, which have got different shaped frets on them. So they get different notes that you don't normally find in Western music. Right. But you do find in, um, you know, Middle Eastern music, Indian music. Um, there's their vocalist. Uh, he plays the sitar sometimes, which makes sense. It goes with that. Um, and also they've got two drummers. Yeah, that's um, interesting. Yeah, you watch videos of them, and it's like, like there's these two drummers just like staring at each other, just like playing ex- the, almost the exact same thing in this weird drumming contest. It looks like, but they they they're so in sync with each other, and you know they're even playing fills together. Uh, it's it's really impressive actually. If they're um, playing together, can you see the benefit of having two drummers? Uh, <laughs> well, I was looking this up because I, I I didn't quite understand it, but for one, it's it's its power and volume um, naturally but also they do have points when one of them is playing a steady beat and the other one is doing more intricate fills or solos and things like that mm. so you know that's an interesting way of doing it. i guess it's a bit like having a four-armed drummer you know i guess yeah yeah if that's, it is, it if that's something you're going for if you've ever been in a band and thought i wish i had a four-armed drummer yeah well that's that's the way around it you just get two two drummers Ooh, nailed it. Yeah, yeah. So, so I love these guys. I really like them. Um, so, if anyone out there is interested, check out, check them out. Um, I mean, one of their albums is called "The Flying Microtonal Banana." It's 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 got. To check them out, isn't it? I don't even need to tell you anything about it. Just check it out for the name, and uh, check out a video called "Rattlesnake," where they're they're flying in a weird uh, green screen desert. Um, there's '90s CGI rattlesnakes jumping out at you. And uh, yeah, it's it's really trippy. It's it's great fun. They, I really like them. And um, what was the other track that you sent me? I can't remember, but the the video. Again, the video, the singer's dressed <laughs> again, up a bit like a maggot, isn't he? 
He's he's dressed up as uh, in a cocoon, yeah. And then later on in the video, he's he's like a butterfly, and everyone's dancing around like woo. And um, they've got four four of them are playing pianos. Yeah, in that's the strange. in the song, at least two on pianos, and maybe the two the other two are keys. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it's just a weird setup. The, the whole band is a bit of an odd setup. And one of yeah, the, it's one very of different. The piano players or the key one of the key players uh, who's got his back to us. He's mm. he's standing. And dancing around whilst he's playing, whilst everyone else is seated. It's, a bit, yeah. it's just very strange. I it's like very it, strange, but yeah, I do, I do like it. I really like them a lot. I've also been listening to Yazoo. You know Yazoo? I don't know Yazoo. No. They're, they're a duo from the 1980s. They had like two albums. The singer's Alison Moyet, who's absolutely oh, fantastic. Right. Well, I know Alison Moyet, um, but I didn't know she was in a... In a group yeah, and, uh, and the other guy, I'm going to look up his name, and I'm sorry to him because that's... You know, but that's 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 the way it goes when you're next to such a charismatic singer. Yeah, Vince Clark, he was with Depeche Mode and Erasure. Very clever guy. Yeah, I like them a lot. I've not been uh, branching out much in the last two weeks, to be honest. I've listened to a lot of Richard Ashcroft and The Verve. Also, I've just been I wasn't very well this week, unfortunately. So, um, oh. yeah, sob story. So yeah, not been not been listening to much. I did listen. I did enjoy listening to Mr. Ray's Wig World. Yeah. Yeah, was... so tell me a bit about them. <laughs> yeah, so I was looking at uh, some early Verve gigs, and one of the first shows they headlined, um, well, you know, where they weren't supporting someone, uh, they had a support act, Mr. Ray's Wigworld. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's a cool name. Uh, so I looked them up, and unfortunately, it doesn't look like they ever had much of a career. I can't see that they ever released a full album. Uh, I could mm-hmm. be wrong, though, so if anyone knows Mr. Ray's Wigworld, or if Mr. Ray's Wigwald are listening, get in touch, um, because I'd definitely like to hear more. But it doesn't look like they ever had an album. It looks like they released a couple of EPs, and uh, and then that was it. And it's not super easy to find their music. But what I have heard of them is really cool. I really enjoy yeah. it. Um, yeah, it's very strange, the, the, work, the stuff that you sent me. Yeah, yeah, it's good fun. Maybe they opened up a wig shop. Maybe they did, yeah. It's a good name, isn't it, Mr. Ray's Wig World? <laughs> For all your wig needs. <laughs> and other than that, yeah, not been listening to much else. I've still been listening to Ariel, still enjoying Ariel. And I have um, uh, obviously listened to a little bit of My Vitriol this week because uh, I've been trying to get, uh, there's a chap at work, I've been trying to get onto My Vitriol. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, this is, your, um, yeah, this is your gospel message, isn't it? You'd listen to My Vitriol greatest band of all time mm, it's my aim to get everyone in the world onto my vitriol right okay okay so, this is this is the whole point of this podcast isn't it you're just yep. trying to spread the word yeah just to inject a bit of my vitriol into yeah. everyone's lives yeah have they, have they paid you to do that <laughs> they're not even paying me no all oh, right okay good luck with that <laughs> we did decorate uh, the office so i'm doing this from a desk for the first time oh what do you normally do we had lots of boxes uh, mm. So I had the laptop on top of boxes. Oh, wow. Now I've got a nice big desk, and uh, it might be a little bit echoey because I need more furniture in here. So Yeah, it sounds like you're in a, in, in a canyon. Yeah, I'll just pretend that's the sound that I'm going for. Yeah. Alrighty, shall we get into some verve? Yeah, go on then. The Verve were an English rock band from Wigan that formed in 1990. They were made up of... Richard Ashcroft on vocals, Nick McCabe guitar, Simon Jones on bass, and Peter Salisbury on drums. After releasing two studio albums in 93 and 95, Ashcroft broke up the band only to partially reform again a few weeks later, and then the whole band got together to record their third studio album, Urban Hymns, 
which was released in 97 and went on to be one of the best-selling albums in UK chart history. 19th best-selling album. 19th. I mean, it's very yeah. impressive, isn't it? Mm-hmm. After a series of incidents spanning the years following Urban Hymns, band announced their split again in April 1999. All members focused on other projects to varying success until 2007 when a reunion tour was announced and a fourth album was then released in 2008, reaching number one again in the UK album charts. And another year later, they split a final time. And to date, that is the end of The Verve. Mm, yes, definitely. What an absolute roller coaster. Yeah, very interesting history of a band that's, that haven't actually been together as long as, as, as other bands that we've looked oh, at. Yeah. They've not been together. I mean, if you take out all the gaps... Um, yeah, at most, at very most, you've got 10 years, but not, not that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not been, um, it's just been an absolute roller coaster. There's, there's, they just don't, yeah, I mean, we'll get into it, but they just seem like they shouldn't be around each other. They should no. do separate <laughs> things. Just yeah, on. they should have uh, restraining orders on each other. <laughs> yeah, they really should. Um, what's your history with, with the Verve? Um, I, I almost no history at all. Um, so oh, really? obviously I'd heard of the I'd heard the singles from Urban Hymns because like everybody else in the world, you know, because <laughs> they're on radio so much. And I remember in sociology class at school, this was like our introduction to sociology. My teacher was like this, um, you know, interesting bohemian lady. She she put on Bittersweet Symphony video and the song, and she was like, "This is what society is like." I was like, whoa, that's that's deep. I want to know more. And that was the end of the discussion. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, apart from that, no, I didn't know anything about them at all, at all. Um, and I was very surprised when I heard their earlier stuff, just how different it was and how much I liked it. Because I'm not really, I'm, I'm like you, when, when there's a band that's, that's um, very popular and very iconic, I kind of avoid them. I tend to get put off. So I I didn't think I would enjoy listening to them, but I really do. I really do like them. Uh, what's what's your history? So similarly, I mean, I I knew uh, the the singles off Urban Hymns, but actually I didn't. Oh, I should probably, I'll start from the beginning. So I I remember see I saw Richard Ashcroft in two thousand. Um, I went to a festival with an aunt of mine. She was the cool aunt. Mm. Um, she took me to a festival, and Richard Ashcroft was there, and I was really in awe of him. But I, th- I think mostly uh, I, I really liked his music, but also because it was the first big festival that I'd ever been to. And I was like 15 years old or something. And so I was impressionable. And so yeah. I, I thought he was amazing. And that was around the time that Alone With Everybody came out. So that image on the front cover of, it, of that album of him with the sunglasses on, he just looked super cool. And yeah. I remember buying some sunglasses that looked similar to that. And I had kind of like the, the mop of hair similar to his. And I just thought he was he was cool. You know, I was a, a underweight alternative kid like him and thought, yeah, this dude's, this dude's awesome. But yeah. I, I must say that I th- I th- I'm ashamed to admit that I, I think a lot of the singles from Urban Hymns I mistook for, for Richard Ashcroft's solo career. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's I, really interesting. Th- I really thought that... Um, in fact, I probably didn't think about it too much, but I reckon if you'd have asked me a month ago, The Drugs Don't Work was, was a Richard Ashcroft, Ashcroft song. I wouldn't have known that was a Verve song. And probably also Sonnet and Lucky Man, I think. 
Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, I watched an interview with him um, and he was talking about uh, his solo stuff. And he said that actually he's, when people talk about his first solo album, he gets a bit frustrated because to him, he sees Urban Hymns as his first solo album. That's what he said. Yeah, I know he does. But we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more. I think that he's a bit arrogant for thinking that because it wouldn't have been Urban Hymns if it was his... Like, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. It's... Yeah, yeah, we will. <laughs> yeah, that's... I mean, that's just Rich Ashcroft's arrogance. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so that, that, was, that was how it started with me. And then... And I did, in, I did enjoy that. Um, I enjoyed Alone With Everybody around that time, you know, when I was late teens. And then since then, I've, I've been aware of Richard Ashcroft and aware of the Verve, but I absolutely didn't know, like you, didn't know anything about Northern Souls and Storm in Heaven. Had no idea that they'd started out with that kind of sound. And that's about it, really. So let's get into it. I've got some, got some questions to get a bit, a bit deeper into, into Richard and, and his gang. <laughs> Richard and the started. Gang. <laughs> Richard oh, no. and the Gang. Okay. That was, that was originally the name of the band. <laughs> I'm sure that's what you wanted. They decided against Richard and the Gang. So, Matthew, I will ask five questions to help us discover a bit more about the band. We will then be asking those five questions to a self-proclaimed superfan to find out if they are a fan or a fraud. Today's superfan is Jesse from St. Louis, Missouri, who we'll be talking to a little bit later. You're going to get one point per correct answer, and if you get five points, you'll be a superfan. If you get zero points, you're not invited back to the next episode. Oh, really? <laughs> really? I'll do it, I'll do it on my Good own. luck with that. <laughs> no, you're going to get at least one. If you get one point, you are barely conscious, we said. If you get two mm -hmm. points, you're vaguely interested. Three mm -hmm. points. Ah, oh, this is where I got stumped last time as well. I need to need to plan ahead. Three points. Okay, we'll think of that. Before the next episode, we'll have a three points and a four points. Wasn't three points, um, I'd buy an album. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So three points, you'd commit to buying an album. Four points. Okay, we'll get, we'll get something in writing. We'll, we'll sort yeah. it out. Well, right. We'll, right now, I feel barely conscious. Speak to our lawyers. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the question one. Why did the name change from Verve to The Verve? Oh, I do know this one. Um, but I hope I say it in a way that gets me the point. Um, <laughs> so there was a bit of a copyright issue, I think. Um, because Verve is a company that catalogues um, jazz music in America. Yeah. Is that just, can, I, can I get away with that answer? Yeah, I think so. I think you get the point. So, yeah. Yeah, so they were like, no, you have to change your name. So they put a, a, a the in front of Verve, and they mm. became the Verve. But I think that they were a record label. Yes, they were a label. Yes, yes. Yeah, um, yeah they gave they gave them a lawsuit, and um, is that uh, what you mean when you say catalogs? They, they, no, they they have ah no, this is the thing. They they have they two different have, verbs, don't they? They have Verve Records and Verve Label Group. Or am I am I confusing things? I think they might be the same thing because they they have the world's largest jazz catalog. Yeah, that's the bit that, that that's the bit I didn't understand when I was reading up about it. What does that mean? That's a good question. I don't know, but 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 there's there is so much jazz out there, and so many jazz songs are played by so many artists. So I guess they need a company to control that in some way or another. 
Um, but but Verve also they were the original home of the Velvet Underground and Frank That's Zappa. Right. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That's a really that's a really broad range of musicians. They started out with Ella Fitzgerald almost exclusively because mm. it was set up by Norman Granz, who was Ella's manager, nineteen fifty six, and nice. he wanted to put her music out independently, so he set up Verve Records, um, and then produced Ella Fitzgerald. Brilliant. He also produced. Charlie Parker, Billy Holiday, Nina Simone. Fabulous. Um, and then went on, as you say, with people like Frank Zappa and Velvet Underground. Yeah, I mean, well, the, those those artists are like the the foundation of jazz. Mm. Yeah, that's that's huge. Yeah. I guess if if it wasn't for Verve uh, Records, then jazz would be very different. Yeah, they're a pretty massive name, by the looks of things. I mean, they're still around, but uh, they're owned by Universal now. But who isn't? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, Universal isn't. Oh no, Universal isn't Disney. That's Fox. But, you know, maybe maybe in a few years it will be Disney as well. We're probably owned by Universal. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and that was just the start of... So the, the whole Verve issue, which oh, sorry, we should probably say also that, from my perspective, I mean, no one's mistaking those two. I don't... I don't see, there wasn't much point. I don't see the point in them trying to sue Verve, psychedelic rock band from England. Having the same name as it does seem a bit petty, doesn't it? It seems very petty. That's the that's the correct word. Yeah, it's definitely petty, and because no one knew them at that point, it was just unnecessary. So anyway, I I, f- I feel like adding a the was a minor enough change for them. So good on them. Yeah, yeah. But if you look on the the front of the first album, it just says Verve. It just says Verve. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but it's just the the start of endless bad luck for them, isn't it? They're just constantly yeah, yeah. They don't have a trouble. very good. Uh, they don't have a good track record with um, with the law <laughs> in, in music, music law. Which I suppose is now now's a good time to just get it over and done with, isn't it? And talk about Bittersweet Symphony. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, we, we might as well because because when you look up the Verve, literally about half the half the articles you'll find will be about. Bit of sweet symphony. It's it's absolute crazy story. I mean, you could write you could write a book about just that song. Oh, I'm sure there's books. I'm sure there's a book. There must be. It. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'll give the yeah. cliff notes for those who aren't aware of um, yeah aware of the story. It. So, bit of sweet symphony. The 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 basis of that is um, that the piece of strings that everyone knows that was taken from an album by uh, Andrew Luke Oldham, who was the uh, who was the producer on the original uh, on on a Rolling Stones album. That had uh, the last time uh, a Rolling Stones song. And yeah, yeah. Um, can I can I interject? Yeah, I'm probably going bit? all around the houses here and not explaining it very well. So yeah, please interject and say the 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 bit that you're talking about the, the do, 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 that's not actually the Rolling Stones. That is that is the Verve. <clears throat> what was the Rolling Stones is it's basically a chord progression with some very faint strings that doesn't sound like that. And it's got some kind of percussion going on, and you hear it when Ashcroft starts singing. Behind him, you can hear the faint samples. Really? But um, the actual, the part of the song that everybody knows, the string part at the beginning, that is the verve. Are you and, sure and that's this is... not the bit from Andrew Lou Goldham's orchestral version? Yeah, positive. Yeah, if you if you listen, you listen to it, and you can compare them. It's it's yeah, it, you almost can't even hear. Hear this, you know, the same piece of music, and this this is why it get this gets me really riled up, um, because the part of the song everyone knows was made by the Verve, and yet the Rolling Stones are getting credit for it. Well, um, we should say in 
you know, the, the Stones have, have said some things over the years, but we should say that it wasn't them that instigated this. It was Alan Klein, who was their ex-manager, and he, yes. due to some, some fancy contract work, he owns the rights to all of the Stones songs from the 1960s. Yes. And he, uh, I think we're allowed to say, does not come across as a very nice person. Um, no. And, and really went out of his way to, to hurt the Verve. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But then um, Keith Richards is also quoted as saying, um, this is what you get for yeah, I saw messing that. with the big boys. I saw that and I was quite disappointed that he'd said that because, yeah, as I say, it wasn't, this wasn't instigated by him. He didn't have to make those comments. I don't, I don't understand why he said that. Maybe, maybe he'll go back and he regrets it. I'm, I'm going to assume he, he, regret, he regrets it. Yeah, so, so because of this sampling... All the copyright, all the royalties went to the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Um, so the, the Verve didn't actually get anything for this song uh, until they gave the rights back, I think, was it in very late recently. 90s? No, no, 90s? I think it was very recently, wasn't it? Oh, was it? Yeah, no, I think you're right. Yes. I think oh, that wow. uh, God. Uh, Richard Ashcroft has been, uh, has been given the rights back to the song. I think in, um, in the original releases of, of Urban Hymns, it says the, song, uh, the songwriting credits was uh, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, yeah. and Richard Ashcroft. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, appalling, okay. really. And another interesting uh, thing on, on this story is that you know, all this hoo-ha because a tiny piece of strings was taken from mm. not even the Stones version, but an orchestral version yeah. of a Stones song, yeah. Yet the original Stones song, The Last Time, is stolen from yes. the Staple Singers. And that's yes, not is. even up for that's not even up for discussion. That is no. actually stolen from the Staple Singers. It's um, even more obvious. <laughs> it's even more obvious. And I think there was uh, I saw an interview with Keith Richards where he'd said, um, you know, at that time we were listening to a lot of music, We'd, we we were also recording a lot of music, and so we went into the studio and yes we may have we probably just regurgitated a song that, we, that we'd heard. So he's, yeah. uh, he's very much admitted that it, it is a copy of the Staple Singers version. So to, yeah. so to then go down this path of destroying somebody else's hard work, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not right. I guess some people in, in the music industry are like, well, you know, if this, if this legal loophole exists, then we can exploit it as much as we can mm. because it, cause it's there. And another another horrible thing, um, Bittersweet Symphony was nominated for Grammy in the Best Song category, but the songwriting credit went to, or the nomination, the Grammy nomination went to Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. No way. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah I know. It's absolutely terrible. So Ash, oh, Ashcroft, Ashcroft quote uh, jokes and says, you know, it's it's the best song that that they've written that Jagger and Richards have written in twenty years. Wow. That's appalling. Yeah. Do you know what? For for all of for all of, uh, uh, for all, all of the negative aspects of Richard Ashcroft's personality, and he's an, he's a complicated character. He doesn't seem to be that bitter about the sweet um, situation. He, he's, he, well, I, I think. Well, I mean, he did have a nervous breakdown, and and he has struggled with his mental health. He has. So yeah. I guess it's been over time. You know, it wears you down, um, and, and he's he's been very open to say. You know, the, the music industry is, is full of vipers and snakes and people trying to suck your blood. That's what he said. Oh, absolutely. But why wouldn't you think that? Because of the experience they've been through. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so the song was in, in adverts and film soundtracks and the, the and all the royalties went to went to the Stones. You know, it's just it's it's a real it's a real shame, actually. 
real shame. And, and we should say also that, um, again, for those who don't know the story, I'm, I'm assuming most people know this story, but um, that uh, the Verve did do what they thought was the right thing. So they'd taken their sample from the Andrew, Andrew Lug Oldham orchestral version of the last time, and that was yep. released under Decca, which was the, mm-hmm. the label that released that album. And they'd spoken to Decca, and they'd got permission to use that sample. Yeah, They didn't know that they, because the Decca released version was a cover, mm. they needed to get permission from the original as well. So they thought they'd done the right thing. And actually, before the single was released, I believe that they'd actually tried to source that permission even before the single was released. So they'd spoken to, to Alan yeah. Klein's office before it had even yeah. come out when they realised, oh, sugar, we need to get permission from the original as well. But uh, yeah. he just saw it as an opportunity to, to screw someone over. I will I will post some, some clips of the original track and their track on the Facebook page if yeah. anyone's interested. Awesome. Because the, the Verve, they did about 50 tracks of instrumentation their own instrumentation so much of it is them you know i mean the lyrics obviously is them it's, it's just such a small petty thing yeah. that you can barely hear and that's why they anyway i'm, I'm really riled about it i get very cross yeah. <laughs> you know because because it's not like you know when vanilla rice uh took the bass line from uh under pressure yeah <laughs> and he didn't ask permission and so they they sued him like millions of dollars. But also, you can clearly hear that in Vanilla Rice's Ex- tune. <laughs> it's exactly, no, because that's the main part of the the tune is the is the bass line. Yeah, you know, it's not like that at all. This no. is something much more subtle and artistic. <laughs> Sorry, Vanilla right. Rice fans. Well, uh, we'll talk about other other controversies then. So we've got. Um, I mean, the, the list is is fairly long. <laughs> so we've got. Um, did you see on uh, uh, Soccer AM, Richard Ashcroft on Soccer AM? No, um, I didn't. Tell me. Oh, see, this was... Uh, he potentially did nothing wrong, and the world's just attacked him because he's got a bit of a reputation for being a, being mm. a, bit, of a bit of a geezer about town. But he was invited onto Soccer AM, and he's climbing over the couch, and a little, a little package <laughs> falls out of his trouser leg. Oh, and, no. Uh, and so the world said, I thought, I thought Ashcroft was, was off the drugs, and clearly a little... A little pouch of something has fallen out of his trouser leg. Oh, um, awkward. awkward. Yeah, it's a bit awkward. It potentially was nothing, though. This, you know, there's no... I mean, it, it looks It looks like... I watched it on, on YouTube. It does look like something uh, Something a bit dodge. But, um, but uh, he, he denies it and says, can people stop, can people stop uh, assuming that I've got drugs in my pocket? He, he made, he yeah, they don't pocket. work. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that was the headline for every newspaper, wasn't it? Um he also said that he made some comment about how everyone who knows him knows that his pockets are full of rubbish. So it was probably just a bit of rubbish. <laughs> That's a really odd <laughs> thing to know about someone. <laughs> everyone that knows me. <laughs> also, um, uh, other, other controversies. 2010 Splendour in the Grass um, in, in Australia. He walked off set before finishing the first song. What? Wow. Um, yeah, and Why? apparently, so that the... the, the I don't know that the the organizers and people there people in the crowd say it was because he was annoyed that no one turned up and there yes. was another stage I can't remember who was playing at the other stage but they'd obviously drawn in a big crowd and he didn't get a big crowd so he, he got the hump and he walked off before even completing one song which yeah. is not good form but it is it is Ashcroft so um, and yeah. then you and then you got just general fights um, general fights and nastiness so June yeah. June ninety eight after a show in Dusseldorf, uh, Nick uh, 
ended <laughs> ended the show with a broken hand, uh, which at that time so there's been quite a few broken hands from McCabe. Uh, I don't know how many how many times does the average person break their hand in a lifetime, but Nick McCabe seems to do it fairly regularly. If you're doing if you're doing a lot of weird guitar techniques, then probably do it a lot. <laughs> well, I, I've got two instances here that aren't related to guitar. So oh, one really? was almost certainly a fight with Richard, and that was in that was in '98. And there was another one in about '95, where I was watching an interview with with Richard Ashcroft, and he said that Nick had broken his hand when he got thrown down a set of stairs by a bouncer. Mm. And I thought, oh, oh yes. that can't be the one in Dusseldorf because that's there's three years difference between this interview and the last one I saw. So mm-hmm. yeah, it means that he broke his hand then as well. <laughs> oh dear! And that was in France when Nick tried to go backstage without his backstage pass. Apparently, so the French bouncer threw him down a set of stairs and broke his hand. Wow, awkward. Um, yeah, I, I did read that they smashed up a hotel room in Kansas um, around the time they played at Lollapalooza. Right. Peter Salisbury got um, arrested for that. Oh really? Which is surprising because he seems like very um, he's the very chilled man. guy. Yeah, he's the one that you expect him, him to keep them all on track. Yeah, like, calm down, guys. Calm, calm on, Dave. All right, have we done all controversies? <laughs> have you got any other controversies? I mean, there's 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 all the stories about uh, a Northern Soul album um, was basically recorded while they were all really high on ecstasy the whole time. Oh, that's right, yeah. And constantly fighting. The producer smashed a window because um, he was getting really pissed off with them what was his it's name just like, the producer from northern soul owen owen, owen morris owen morris that's right he apparently had a, a proper nervous breakdown during um during northern soul yeah he's he, i've got a quote here. he said they did my head in completely and utterly that's life it's a fantastic album at the end of the day but it's not a process that i'd ever want to go through again yeah and um and richard ashcroft said um when he was asked about that he said you're not going to make a good album without a nervous breakdown <laughs> That makes sense. Okay. That makes sense, you know. <laughs> he said it was necessary for... It's know, quite a good, good album. album. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good start. 100%. Yay. Question two. Yeah, you're doing well. So you, you get to come back for the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'm um, barely conscious. <laughs> yeah, you're barely conscious now. Let's see if we can get you vaguely interested. So question two. Mm. Who provided the strings for six tracks on fourth? Oh, God. I, I, oh. Who provided strings? Mm. As in, who played the strings, or who yeah, the as strings? in, there's a musician. Yeah, not 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 who bought the strings. <laughs> I mean, there's a musician who they who sessioned on fourth for six tracks. Oh wow! I literally don't have a clue. I'm just going to say oh, really? um, Kennedy, Nigel oh, Kennedy. Right. You didn't know? No, he's an Italian guy called David Rossi. Oh no, I do know this guy. He yeah. he didn't he play with McCabe. On his on his other stuff, yeah, he has, and I think McCabe. So it was McCabe's suggestion originally. McCabe wanted to bring him on to uh, into the verb, and I think that he'd suggested not David Rossi, but certainly back in uh, Urban Hymns, Nick had suggested putting more strings on. He wanted to get more strings in. Richard Ashcroft, in his typical, um, doesn't know what he wants all over the place. I've seen him mm. in interviews talk about how he disagreed with that and he didn't want any more strings. But then right. he's super contradictory because if you listen to a lot of his solo albums, it's it, it can be massively orchestral at times. So yeah, um, oh yeah, yeah. yeah God. Ashcroft really doesn't know what he wants, but but yeah, Nick had oh. wanted more strings on on Urban Hymns and he got his way with Fourth, and so they brought in David Rossi for quite a lot of it. Yeah, David Rossi, and um, um, he he played with the Black Ships, one of McCabe's 
bands. Yeah. Which um, Simon Jones also played with. That's right. Um, yeah. Bass player. Yes. yes. Is he full time, David Rossi, with uh, with the Black Ship or Black Submarine? Um, I think. Oh yeah, they're now the Black Submarine, are they? Yeah. They changed. Oh yes, they are. Yes. Um, no, I think they've got a, a changing lineup. Right. He's yeah, fairly but, accomplished, but, though, David Rossi. He is, yes. Electronic violin. Apparently, according to Wikipedia, he's most known for playing with Goldfrap. But Goldfrap were a duo, and Rossi is not either of that duo. So I don't know if he's really best known for playing with Goldfrap. But, but he is certainly very accomplished. He's been a lot of stuff. And most famously, he was uh, he played all the strings on Viva La Vida by Coldplay, the album Viva La Vida. Ah, interesting. Um, and that's interesting. an album that's got quite prominent strings on it. A weird little fact. Um, I actually know the, the lady who wrote the strings for that. For the track um, Viva La Vida. Yeah. All right. Yeah, she 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 taught me um, uh, arrangement. Oh, you could have yeah, got the did. inside scoop then, because she might have known David Rossi. She, her name's Audrey. She's a very very uh, talented person. Shout out to Audrey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Richard Ashcroft, his his albums, they use so much orchestral music. It's 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 amazing. I mean, his the lineup of um, session musicians, it's it's, it's really impressive. Mm. Yeah, he's he's really um, conflicted, isn't he, as to what he wants. Yeah. He said, what he says and what he does do not line up. And I don't know why that is. I mean, maybe when he says things, he does believe them. But he's just uh, he's just got a lot going on in his head. And yeah. yeah, depending on what time of day you ask him, you'll get a different answer. Because yeah. there's so many things spinning around his head. But yeah, this, this the strings thing isn't the only thing. I mean, I've seen other, I've seen other times where he talked about how I think I think in context of urban hymns again, he talks about how he wanted uh, you know much heavier guitars, he wanted more guitars, but then that's not reflected in his solo work. You know, his solo work mm. is a lot less heavy. Oh, it definitely is. Um, yeah. So yeah, he's he's made some interesting comments. As I say, I think he just doesn't know what he wants necessarily. He's got a lot of ideas. He's a very creative guy, a very clever guy, and so he's got loads of ideas and loads of things going on in his head, and he just try, yeah. tries to vocalize them as best he can. Um, speaking of um, session musicians, and you, this might come up later, um, do you know who um, provided hand claps oh, in I Urban do, Hymns? Yeah. Yeah, you're talking about Liam Gallagher? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny that he's credited as hand claps as well. Yeah. I was thinking, like, do, does he have a specific uh, sound that comes out of his hands? Well, interesting, like, because we... I listened for it, and I couldn't hear hand claps. Can you hear hand claps? Not really, but it's it's probably very subtle in the mix somewhere. But you think that they're, they're like, oh, we need hand claps in this song. Like, who's got a good hand clap sound? Oh, yeah, we'll get Liam Gallagher. Yeah. I mean, they were very close, weren't they, the Gallaghers and, and Richard Ashcroft? Yeah, they, maybe they just wanted him on the album in some way or another. So there you go, put him on hand claps. Yeah, I think in, in Northern Soul as well. Oh, is it in Northern Soul or am I speaking out of line here? That he dedicated a song to Noel and Noel dedicated one song from... Um, uh, what's a story morning glory to to Richard? Yeah, yeah and um, the song Northern Soul is actually dedicated, I think, oh, to right. Liam. I'm not sure. Right. I keep getting them mixed up, which is which is terrible because they they are very different people in a lot of ways. Oh, they're um, very different people. Yeah, and um, Cast No Shadow by the Oasis is dedicated to Richard Ashcroft. That's it, Cast No Shadow. Yeah, yeah. They were. I mean, they they were coming up at the same time, weren't they? Um, very different styles of music, but. You know, at that, at that time, the, fir- the first two Verve albums and the, the Oasis stuff coming out at that time were very different, but I guess, you know, from similar parts of the world and you know, they, they seemed like they felt like kin. So, um, mm. 
yeah, they they spoke very highly of each other in interviews, very highly yeah. of each other. Um, yeah, which is nice. And um, yeah, and one thing Richard Ashcroft said was, uh, when you know Oasis were were topping the charts before Verve were, and and he said that uh, he felt and you know, he would feel this way. The rest of the world might not have felt this way, but, but he felt that uh, Oasis were at the top all on their own. And uh, he said, it's a lonely place being up there on your own. So he's really happy that Verva are now reaching the, the top as well and they can be there together. And um, yeah. and he feels uh, he feels comfort in that. You know, They can be at the top with Oasis. He said on an interview um, that he'd like to do a, a musical with Oasis, or rather with the Gallagher brothers. Um, wow. So the three of them do a musical about about themselves um, using their music. Um, but when he was asked like who would play Ashcroft, he said, oh, "It would have to be me playing myself." <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd like to see that. I don't know if I'd like to see that. But anyway, I'd like I'd like it to happen. I don't know if I'd, I'd like, like to it see to. It. <laughs> yeah, I'd like it to exist. <laughs> I wouldn't well watch it. <laughs> Um, other um, other interesting session musicians on uh, a storm in heaven. They had a horn section on three tracks. A group mm. called Kick Horns. Have you heard of Kick Horns before? I've vaguely heard of them. Yeah, see, I looked into these guys, and they have had an amazing career. So they were formed uh, sometime in the nineteen eighties. It's kind of ambiguous. Sometime in the eighties, there were three friends: two of them on sax, one on trumpet, and and then and there's not much of a there's not much information about them online, but I guess within the industry they're very well known because it just seems like the world and his wife has had them on on their tracks. I'm just yeah, I'm just looking them up actually. They've been with uh, the Rolling Stones, Pete Townsend, Dave Gilmore, uh, the Spice Girls, Jamiroquai. Yeah, yeah. Just, um, you can just keep going. Beyonce, Paloma Faith, Supergrass, The Verve, Primal Scream. Primal Scream. It's just non stop. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, they've had they've got countless number ones, or you know, tracks that they've been on have been have been number ones. Um, and, and as I say, there's just not a lot of information about them online. So I guess it's just one of those names that, within the industry, if you want a horn section, then you know the the, the people in charge go, yeah, you want you want kick horns. Yeah. They're the guys that you want. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's generally what happens with session musicians. You know, if you have a, have a good enough CV, then you're yeah. you're the the go to people. Yeah. That's awesome. Absolutely. I was really impressed by them. Brilliant. I'll check them out. Yeah, it might upset you to listen to, though, you know, because it'll remind you of your saxophone years. <laughs> we we don't go down that path. You're trying to put those years behind you, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And talking about session musicians, alone with everybody, wow. I mean, yeah. <laughs> how, many, how many musicians did he want on that? Crazy. He's got um, the London Community Gospel Choir on there. Oh, has he? I didn't. I didn't clock that. I just. I was yeah. just. To be honest, I was just. Li- I was looking at the list of, so harmonica, flute, harp, conga drums, sax, yeah. trumpet, Hammond organ. <laughs> it just crazy amount of people. And he's also got um, Pino Palladino on on that album on oh. bass, and he's one of my favourite bass players. Amazing fretless player. Wow. He's done a lot of work with uh, classic eighties tunes. If you ever heard fretless bass on it pop music, then Pino it's Palladino. usually Pino Palladino. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame that he did that, in, in all honesty, because I think the Verve were always very smart about what additional musicians they put on. They were reserved, and it was always complimentary. Um, yeah. And Ashcroft just went a bit mental with his first solo album. Yeah, he, he seems very, um, uh, what's the word, very ambitious. Like, he yeah. wants it to be as grand as possible. Yeah. And I wonder how that... Um, I mean, I was there in 2000, so I could probably tell you, but I don't remember. 
I wonder how that translates live because he's not having all those instruments live. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, right. it's 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 quite a cool album. His first album. I mean, there's some some quite good anthems and yeah. interesting arrangements. I guess oh, it's, songs it's, for the lovers is a, is a great tune, and yeah, there's no reason why that you know if that was an urban hymns tune, it, no one would have batted an eyelid. It, it it's, would it would have been as yeah. good. Yeah, it's very urban hymns that album, I think. But yeah. his other albums didn't really grab me. No, he's he's well, he's well, he's just all over the place. He's just classic Ashcroft, isn't he? There's, mm-hmm. there's little consistency in his music, I feel. Yes, um, yeah. And maybe that's a uh, testament to his experimental style, and that's fine if you want to be experimental, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I need a bit more consistency. All right, so no point there, I'm afraid, but you're still, you're still barely conscious. Question three, this is the tough one. This is really tough, I think, so apologies. I'm scared. But it was kind of hard with the verb, actually, writing questions, because... A band that's not had a long career, it was either mm. going to be really obvious stuff, or I had to yeah. really scrape the barrel to find you know, interesting things that, do you know yeah. what I mean? That, that really under some rocks, and maybe that's what yeah. I've done here. Okay. So question three: on. Who is walking through the door on the cover of a Northern Soul? Oh God, I have literally no idea. Actually, I mean, is it one of the band? It is one of the band, yeah. Shall I just pick a, pick a random one? Go on. <laughs> I've got 20% chance. Um, it's, or no, was it was Simon Tong in the band at the time? Uh, Northern Soul, no, he wasn't. No, no so there's any... There's any... There's four of them. One out of, one out of four, so I'm going to go with Simon Jones. No, it was Peter Salisbury, but, but great guessing. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So this was, this was the cover was, was by Brian Cannon. He did the cover art for the first three albums. Basically what it is, so for, for listeners who haven't seen the, the cover of the album, it's, it's the four faces, faces of the four musicians, and that's uh, an image that's projected onto a wall of a warehouse. And mm. on the wall, in the bottom right of that warehouse wall, there's a little door, and walking out the door is Peter Salisbury. You can't tell it's Peter Salisbury at all. You'd have to know that. But uh, there's, you know, there's plenty of interviews with Brian Cannon online. Um, he's, uh, he's talked a lot about his time with the Verve. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so, so that was a really interesting interview I read uh, with him about, about creating that particular album cover. Uh, the other two covers he created were Northern, uh, Storm in Heaven, which I think is really mm-hmm. cool. I think that's a really cool album cover, that one. It is. Kind of like a cave. What well, is? It's not kind of like a cave. It's a cave. <clears throat> it's it's um it's Thor's cave, which is um in Northern Staffordshire. It's an awesome name for a cave. Yeah, yeah. It's it's got a lot of history. I looked into the the tourist <laughs> page of it. Uh, they've they've discovered uh, Roman um, pottery and human bones and things like that there. Oh, cool. Uh, people go rock climbing there. Yeah, and then they've got the the letters for V E R V E. Yes. Um. Uh, I'm trying to picture in my head what, how they're oh they're they're in the cave they're on, anyway like they're on fire aren't they yeah I think they're flaming yeah like a wire they're like wire frame and they're flaming in, in the cave yeah but inside the uh, the album sleeve there's there's more weird art like there's a there's a car that's on fire and the the band are playing chess right next to a burning car like re- proper edgy yeah he uh, Brian Callan had said that the the art for a storm in heaven. And I haven't written this down, so I'm trying to remember from an interview that I've read with him. The different images on the on the um, on the pullout were meant to represent different stages of a lifetime. I think yeah, it was meant to be like yeah, birth and old age and birth, youth, middle age, and old age. Yeah, right. Oh, okay, there you go. 
Good job you've done your research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't get the question right. <laughs> I guess the cave is is birth because maybe that's like the that's what you see when you're coming out of the mm. coming out of the womb. Yeah, you see you see Thor's cave. And then the third album that he did was uh, was Urban Hymns, which is just a photo of them in the park. And the reason for that simplicity was Richard had insisted we just want a photo of the album, the band because, um, and this is a quote, he said, I just want people to listen to the fucking record. <laughs> yeah. Are they, are they staring at, is that Nick McCabe on the, on the left? Oh, I don't have it in front of me. I thought that would be a question, is like, who are they all staring like, Because like, they're all looking to the left, except for the guy that's on the left who's looking to the right. It looks like they're all pissed off with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, He's, he won awards for that album cover, um, but it's not, it's, uh, it's, well, it's okay. not the it's most very, creative it's... Um, it's very iconic it's just it them sitting iconic. in the park but I wonder if it's that iconic because it's such an iconic album well yeah I guess because cause everyone knows it and that's not yeah. the same thing is it as, but I wouldn't say it's a great album cover no but I've got a really interesting uh, Brian Cannon fact about album covers alright uh, so do you know the cover of um, What's the Story Morning Glory yes it's like a guy in a brown coat walking away yes and that's Brian Cannon Ah, that's him. Did he do the Did he do the the art for that? I don't know if he did the art for it. Let's assume he did. I mean, why else would he yeah. have been there? I don't know. Yeah, we'll, but, but yeah, it's we'll, him walking away. We'll go with that. And the guy walking to so there's two people. And I until I read this this article, I didn't know that there was a second person. But yeah, there's two people on that um, that album cover: Brian Cannon, and then there's a guy walking towards him. And the guy walking towards him is. Oh god, I haven't written it down. Another one that I haven't written down. It's a it's a DJ, some Kent's DJ. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, oh, here we go. Uh, Sean Rowley, DJ on BBC Radio Kent. Oh yes, okay, okay. <laughs> oh yes, that that's Sean Rowley. So Gosh. yeah, so there's a useless fact for you about what's the story of Morning Glory. But I thought that was kind of fun. That's um, Brian Cannon nearly got his face in the public eye. Everyone knows him for his artwork. Yeah. And we were nearly knew his face, but he's walking away from us. Well, I say everybody knows him, but I didn't know him until this. Yeah, true. <laughs> do you know how they met <laughs> no Brian Cannon and Richard Ashcroft how did they meet so they met at a uh, birthday party oh. at uh, one of Brian's ex-girlfriend's houses in Wigan Brian was 23 Richard was 17 at the time wow. and uh, you know the verb weren't a thing yet but he mentioned to Richard at that point that he was a graphic designer and he was really interested in doing album covers Hmm. Um, and so Ashcroft, he just kept him in mind. And then two yeah. years later, the Verve were looking, uh, they, they were signed and they were looking um, at getting some album art done. And so he called Brian Cannon and said, hey, you, you're a graphic designer and you wanted to do album covers. Do you want to come and do ours? Wow. Yeah, that's um, that's a lesson from today's episode is like, just just talk to anybody at a birthday party because you're never going to know where it's going to lead you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Brian Cannon was really lucky as well to be on the first three albums because apart from Brian, they pretty much changed everything else, every album, didn't they? They couldn't mm. stick with a producer, couldn't stick with a no. studio. Um, they were just, they were, well, I mean, Richard Ashcroft even says, uh, I saw an interview with him in 95 where he said, we haven't found the right producer yet. It was a bit mm. of a kick in the face of Owen Morris, really, who might have been yeah. watching. But, um, yeah. you know, he was, they were constantly just moving around trying to find the right fit for them. Yeah. Um, but Brian, they stuck with until fourth. They didn't. They didn't bring him back for fourth. Yeah. You don't know whether the clouds were photographed for fourth, do you? Oh, I do. Um, you do. Yeah. So that was a photo by uh, a photographer, Yuva Dutman. 
Ooh. from his Vulcan collection. Yeah, <laughs> wow. But that's, all I, that's all I have to say about it, unfortunately. I don't have anything else to say. Yeah, it was. I mean, I've seen his Vulcan collection, um, and it's all very similar kind of photos. He's just a photographer, and that's a series of photos that he has of clouds and things. Mr. Um, Spock. <laughs> Vulcan, yeah. No, it's like Vulk, like W-O-L-K-E-N. Okay, the German sense. Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, you didn't get that. <laughs> I thought you got that with my accent. Uwe Dutman with his Vulcan collection. With his Vulcan collection, yeah. Oh, I should have put more. Should have put more. Very logical, yeah. <laughs> no, you, you're going Vulcan again. He's he's got his pointy ears, taking pictures of clouds through out of his spaceship. Oh, you're getting you're getting Germans mixed up with Vulcans. <laughs> Are they? Uh, is that easily done? I didn't think so, but yeah. I'm going to get complaints from uh, Germans and get complaints from Vulcans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, other than that, I don't know much about the fourth album cover. There was not, there wasn't much about it. You know, it's that's what the photo is, and I think potentially in you know, all the clouds and that the fourth kind of suggests. I mean, fourth is is meant to be a play on fourth, as in the number four. But the word fourth, the way they've spelt it, kind of suggests like going forth could be flight, and that's why they got the clouds, as in flying somewhere i don't know yeah and no it's not yeah. brilliant is it it's not great i really liked uh a storm in heaven really like that album cover yes northern soul is kind of a bit late for its it looks like it's about 10 years before when it came out it's yeah very 80s yeah. that album cover and yeah. album hymns is a great album cover Alrighty, nailed it or oh, did you nail it no you didn't nail no. it so. no i didn't nail it <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> giving you points when you don't deserve them all oh. right we'll pull it back now okay so question okay. four what was the name of the free track made available for download from the NME website in 2007? Oh, no. Um, I'm, I'm hanging my head in shame. I really do not know. Do you think I've gone too tough on these? Well, as you say, you know, it's, they're either going to be really obvious or they're going to be really obscure. Okay. And I don't know. All right. Well, the name, of the, track, the name of the track that was released on the NME website in 2007 was The Thor Sessions. The Thor session. Yeah, Thor, not as in um, Thor's hammer. Thor as in, I'm going to have a frozen dinner tonight, so I'm going to leave it out. Oh, the Thor. Thor session, right. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, I think maybe it's because, you know, they've been inactive for eight years, and so they were saying, you know, we need to Thor out. The, the, yeah. the Thor sessions was marketed as, we just walked into the studio and this is the jam that we first, we just did a little jam session and this is it. That's not mm. what happened, is it? I mean, that's not what happened. You don't. That doesn't happen in real life. So uh, they probably did write something. But I must say, if you haven't heard it, listen to it. It's really good. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's, and that it's was two thousand seven. It was two thousand seven, and it was as I say, they they marketed it as we're going to start recording a new album, and this is the first sort of jam session we've had in the studio. But in doing that, you've kind of uh, portrayed to the public that that's what you can expect from the new album. And yeah. this is not representative of the new album at all. It's very misleading. Right. Because the first, because the Thor Sessions is very in the style of A Storm in Heaven and, you know, some yeah. of the Northern Soul and more of the psychedelic sound. Yeah. You know, McCabe is, is playing his old style again. It's none of, this, none of these pop licks. He's, he's doing that old, you know, kind of all over the place, much more free form. Yeah. Um, you know, the second half of the Thor Sessions... Um, yeah, it's very much uh, like the older, the older Verve sound. The only thing that is different is Ashcroft's voice, and not because mm. he's singing different, just because he's older now and he's, yeah. he's not got the same voice as he had when he was nineteen, twenty. That's interesting that they're going 
back to that because that's when they weren't particularly popular. Yeah, yeah. I, I really liked it. I thought it was really cool. Um, yeah, I'll check that out because I, I, to me, A Storm in Heaven is my favourite Verb album. Yeah, yeah, I'm probably with yeah, you on I that. I love it. Yeah. I really love it. Um, and and I, I, I read a lot of stuff about the recording and, and apparently they did do a lot of jam sessions, a lot of improvisation, and they, they cut and pasted some of their improvising and stuck it together to to become a composition. Was this the song Blue, I think? Was that the last song? Ashcroft uh, was... Apparently he was making up the lyrics, or at least he, he, he made up the lyrics like the night before or the day before. Mm. Uh, it was set to go to mastering in the studio. I've it seen very, that for a few uh, songs. He's, he's claimed that... Um... He's freestyled a few of the lyrics. Well, the, the lyrics were still getting written a week after they started mixing the music and they were getting lots of angry phone calls from the label saying, where the fuck is this record? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty mad, really. Yeah. Um, but it does sound like it. And, and Nick McCabe has said that they were basically a, a post-rock band with a singer, which is interesting because a lot of post-rock bands don't like calling themselves post-rock. <laughs> yeah. I can kind of get what he means by that. Um, yeah, you know, certainly with, with Nick's style in the early years was very freeform and very experimental. Yeah. There's another um, another really interesting release. I don't know if you've heard of or looked into Voyager One EP. No. Okay. Well, this is this is a fun one. So Voyager One was an EP that was only released in the US. It was six tracks, and most of them were. I think most of them were from Storm in Heaven. But anyway, besides the point, so it was a six-track EP, and uh, it was only released in the US, but it was it was pressed here in the UK, and then it was shipped over. Only 1,000 were shipped, but 300 got damaged on the way, so only 700 existed. Oh, wow. So 300 were, got wasted. And then over the years, for some reason, I, I don't know why, I mean, I guess because there's only 700 of them, and the Verve have become a, a much bigger band than they expected to be when this Voyager 1 EP came out, it's become a real collector's item. I bet, yeah. Yeah, so the biggest, the highest price one's gone for is in 2016, uh, one sold for $10,000. Wow. I did a quick search and I found, um, so there's two versions out there. There's the original, which is from that original 700, mm-hmm. and they're on a clear blue vinyl. They're pressed in a clear blue vinyl. Ooh, nice. And then in Germany, they they pressed a bootleg version on black vinyl, and that's really the only difference you can tell, the colour of the vinyl. Yeah. Um, now I found a blue one on eBay, but it's got someone's written on the cover and on the vinyl, mm. and it's going for six hundred and fifty dollars. Now I think the ten thousand dollar it must have been just a, a bidding battle from collectors. Yeah. Because there's yeah. a big difference between six hundred and fifty and ten thousand. But the one for six hundred and fifty dollars it has got text and marker pen on both the cover, the front and back cover, and on the vinyl. So mm. I mean that's put the price down. But it, yeah, if it course. didn't have that text on it, I mean, it could be going for over a thousand pounds, and that's still a yeah. lot of money for for a vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. Collectors would still want st- still want both both editions, though, even if the difference is only the color of the the vinyl. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I did find some German ones, um, oh, the black vinyl ones, and they're not, you know, they're not twenty quid. They're still you know hundred quid or something. But they're, yeah, you know, there's more of them out there. So yeah, wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah. Did you um did you check out the um Wigan demos? I did listen to a few of the Wigan demos and are they also are they also the tracks that are did you listen to the the re-released uh, digitally remastered version of Storm in Heaven they had 3 CDs? Briefly, yes. 
So I think that is the third CD of that a lot of those Wigan demos or not? I think they do reappear later. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But some of the some of the tracks are, are really strange because they're even more psychedelic than Storm in Heaven. Like in a couple of them, Ashcroft's voice is is very much low in the mix. Mm. Like you can you can hear him, but it's it's not he's not at the front. It's just a massive wall of noise. Yeah, and he's just saying gibberish. Well, I think it's gibberish anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely it's it's an interesting experimental time, and I like that. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was a slow burn for me. I I didn't listen to it. I listened to the first time I listened to that album. I thought it was interesting, but it didn't. I didn't think it was their best. And now, you know, I'm gonna listen to that album a lot more. It's yeah. It's really good. Yeah. And Northern Soul kind of seems a bit in the middle, doesn't it? In that, uh, it's not even an evolution of their sound. A Northern Soul. I feel it is very much in the middle of two different sounds. Yes, like, definitely. They've got little hints of you know, the more poppier licks that they've got in uh, in urban hymns, and they've still got some of that real psychedelic sound from Storm in Heaven. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem to transition very well in that you'll have one track that's very psychedelic, and then it'll go to a much slower you know, pop ballad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, they're good songs, though. There's good songs, yeah. Oh, dear. Four questions Not looking in. good, is it? It's not looking great. Question five. Is... Uh, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sound very happy or confident anyway. No, I think you've got this one. I've got faith in you. Question five. Between January 92 and September 93, which American alternative rock band did Verve support in the UK, Europe and Canada? Oh, I'm so oh, embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. I probably know it in the back of my head and... Just let just give me ten seconds to think. Oh man, can you give me a clue? Um, uh, you can say from, no. They're from Chicago. I don't know what clue I can give without. That's not helpful at all. <laughs> uh, okay, um, I, can, I can give you a massive clue. Okay. I posted a picture of their singer on Twitter this week. <gasps> oh, Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. Oh, yes. Does that count as a, as an answer? It does not. No, you didn't get the point. Yeah. Come on, just <laughs> half a half a point. Half a point. You can get half a point for effort. <laughs> okay, one and a half points. I can take that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Smashing Pumpkins. They were they were the support act for Smashing Pumpkins. U- UK and Europe, and then really oddly, I, I found a couple of dates in Canada, but I didn't find any dates in the US. Hmm. Yeah. That's a bit odd. Can, can you can you hear a, a similarity in the two bands? Um. No, not really, because I think that at that time... So if you listen to Gish, the debut album from Smashing Pumpkins, I feel that Billy Corgan's voice is incredibly important. And, yeah. you know, he's, he's the prominent player there. Whereas I think if you listen to A Storm in Heaven, Ashcroft's voice is not necessarily the most important part of that band at, at no, that time. No, definitely not. Definitely um, not. Yeah, so I, I do think that there's a big difference there. I think, and also I think that... Okay, I mean, they hadn't had any, at that point, Smashing Pumpkins hadn't had any, like, pop hits. Uh, I mean, using the word pop very broadly. But even so, uh, even a lot of the tracks at that at that time still had, was still a bit more formulaic than anything by The Verve. I mean, the, mm, that was yeah. much more, yeah, just much more freeform, the, the stuff by yeah. Verve at that point, yeah. than anything by Smashing Pumpkins. But, you know, interestingly enough, in uh, at the European gigs, rumour has it that the crowds really uh, preferred the verve and uh, billy corgan hated that and he got very mm. upset 
Uh, yeah. and I, was, I was reading an interview with Nick McCabe who said that when they were asked to go on tour with the Pumpkins, he was super excited because he loved uh, Gish. He was he really looked up to the Smashing Pumpkins um, and he was really excited to go on tour with them. But then after having been on tour with Billy Corgan, he looked at them slightly differently and he thought that Corgan was uh, very very oversensitive about everything, didn't like it when, when people complimented the Verve over mm. the Smashing Pumpkins, and um, he was a bit, of a, a bit of a drama queen. Isn't he a bit of, a, bit of an egomaniac as well, apparently? Doesn't yeah, he have that reputation? I don't, know, I don't know if he has that reputation. I don't know much about um, them as people, but yeah, it sounds like it. Can you, um, you want to share with the listeners your, your conspiracy theory? Well, you should check out Twitter, the Superfancast Twitter, account because I posted up a picture on on Twitter of Nick McCabe in the early 90s and Billy Corgan in the early 90s and they were the same person they are the same person maybe that's why <laughs> maybe that's why um they didn't like Ash like Ashcroft I don't do that. that's what it is you know they're on the same they're obviously on the same uh, record label hut I think it was maybe just Nick McCabe's way of getting uh, two paychecks each week Maybe, maybe. He just thought, if um, I'm the same person in both bands, they're only going to pay me once, so I'll, I'll pretend yeah. to be someone else. I, I'm more used to the Pumpkins' later stuff, so to me, it just looks wrong when Billy Corgan has, has when, he, when he has hair, like, it just looks wrong. Like, I, I just see him as, I think of him as, as he's got a bald baby head. Yeah. And if he doesn't have that, then it's not Billy Corgan. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I, that, I, I searched for a picture of him with hair, did I? No, that sounds weird. I searched for a picture of him <laughs> at that time to see <laughs> Billy Corgan with hair on Google. Yeah, because I wanted to see what he looked like around that time, and, uh, right. and yeah, I thought that they looked the same. I got a really good review here from uh, from a gig in Wolverhampton, nineteen ninety three. Oh. This, this is a brilliant review. It says, "This is a rock gig, but nobody seems to have told Billy Corgan and Richard Ashcroft a good night out is not Billy or Richard's main concern." Two and a half hours after Verve draw back the curtains, that much is apparent. What Richard wants is to split open your head, blow angel dust into every cranial crevice, and fling wide the doors of your perception. What Whoa. Billy wants is to blowtorch your defences and hack back the soft tissues of your emotion. He wants oh your God. heart on a stick of dynamite. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. That's a fantastic review. I really That's like proper it. music journalism there. It is, isn't it? Those, those days have died. Yeah, that does wow. sound like a fantastic event. Um, that sounds incredible. Yeah, I want to go and see one, one of the, the greatest machine. events in history. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just their heads exploding with <laughs> how yeah. good it is. I think that Rich Ashcroft was a little bit arrogant at um, a little bit arrogant at a no. lot arrogant at some of the um, the gigs where they support Pumpkins. In that uh, they would they would stay on stage too long. Um, the crowd were liking them, and so they would they would take over a little bit, and I think that would annoy the Pumpkins as well. Because you know they they feel you know the, the crowd are here to see us, mm. and you're our support act. You're supposed to be riling the crowd up for us, yeah, not taking yeah. over the show. But yeah. um, but you know you don't don't get Richard Ashcroft to support you if you don't want him to do that. Well, exactly. Yeah, he's he's not a very supporting person, is he? He's very much a leader. Yeah, very much a leader. So yeah, so and I, I nearly wrote this question about about the Black Crows because I saw that Verve had supported the Black Crows. Here in the yes. UK, just for three three gigs, I think. Um, yeah. In around '92, so I was going to do the question on that, but I thought maybe that was a bit too obscure because it was only three gigs. Mm. Um, yeah. 
But interestingly, I think that if you if you watch Ashcroft in those early years live, he looks a lot like um, oh, what's his name from the Black Crows, Chris. Chris, let's call him Chris. Chris from Chris. the Black Crows. Um, he's got that same kind of style, uh, you know, the way that he moves on the stage, and he's got the yeah. long locks, and they look very similar. He's a lot more animated in earlier years, isn't he? Oh, he is, yeah. He's, he's like a different character. The way, he's just almost, he's just bit, the way he is on stage, different character. He's a bit jaggerish, I think, some points. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like he's on an acid trip every yes. gig that he does. It's Definitely. like he's dropped a bit of acid for every single show. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's cool, you know? Okay. I, I keep looking at him like, wow, yeah. front man. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no denying that he's he's definitely he's definitely born to be a front man, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, he um, just oozes charisma. I saw an interview with Nick McCabe a couple of years ago, and he was saying um, he was being asked about, you know, do you think you guys will ever get back together? And actually, he said that you know, we'd all be happy to, but I don't think don't think Richard is interested. But he said, you know, I've I, I don't know what it is about about. Ver- the verve but I just I feel this uh, this draw to it throughout my entire life and at any point in my life if someone said do you want to get back with the verve I'd say yes yeah. but he but he was saying that uh, you know lead singer disease is a real thing and it's something that Richard has but if he didn't have it he wouldn't have been uh, the great performer and songwriter um, well, that's that it. it was yeah that's it yeah I guess I guess you've got to put up with you know big egos and, and interesting dramas you know, to make good music. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and they've all been really busy with their own projects as well, haven't they? They have. Uh, but who, what has um, Peter Salisbury been up to? Can you fill me in on that one? He owns a drum shop in Stockport. Oh, right. He also, well, he played on Ashcroft's first three albums. He played with the Charlatans. Also, have you heard of the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club? Yes. Yeah. He played with them when their drummer couldn't get a working visa for the UK. Oh, right. So. Yeah, so he's he's been quite busy. Um, yeah, his his shop's called Drumming, so drumming <laughs> without a G at the end. Classic. Um, yeah, so he's been busy. Simon Tong, he's he's been a, he's in a band called Erland and the Carnival, and he's played with the Gorillas and the Good, the Bad, and the Queen, which also has Damon Albarn. So, all right. Oh, and he's played with Blair as well. Yeah. Oh, he's done all so right, hasn't he? Proper Brit pop. Uh, and then the other two are. Uh, Black Submarine. Yeah, uh, Simon Jones has... Yeah, Simon Jones. Yeah, I was thinking there's two Simons, yeah. Yeah. Um, just... He's performed with the Gorillas live band as well. Right. Yeah, McCabe has just been crazy busy with Black Submarine. And, and he does he does his own music. Uh, he does a lot of interesting guitar effects. Um, Robert Fripp is one of his big influences. And uh, he is also a uh, lecturer of music technology at Staffordshire University. Yeah, I mean, he, he he knows his tech yeah. very clearly, you know. So I mean, that that's what caused a lot of arguments in the studio with producers is him wanting to have all these effects on, and, and they're saying like, no, that's just too much. And he's like, no, this is how I play. So yeah, and I, I can't remember who said it, but one one of the producers at one time said um, Nick was one of the greatest musicians that ever worked with, but he's also yeah. the most frustrating because he'll never play the same thing twice. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, I think that was the guy from um, from Northern Soul. Owen Norris. All right, so one and a half points out of five, Matt. Oh, this is my worst. This is my worst test so far in the series. I, I, I half expected it. I think the questions were quite tough. 
Um, there's not many the years, thing is, so I kind of had to delve into things a little. No, bit. exactly. I mean, you know, I, I, I've got, a, I've done a lot of research, but I've found out things that haven't been mentioned. You know, yeah, that's that's what sometimes happens, and Go it's on, not, it's not an excuse. Give us your best. Fact. Sorry. Um, well, I've given you some. I've given you some good ones, haven't I? Um, oh, you're he. Like he wanted to, like Ashcroft wanted to play football. He was, uh, he was playing junior football for Wigan Athletic, and uh, he idolised George Best. And then, when they won Best Band at the Brits, they they couldn't be that at the at the award ceremony. But then George Best um, gave them the gave them the award, or he he, he accepted right. the award for them. Right. I didn't weird. know he was playing for junior, playing junior level for Wigan Athletic. And he and he loves uh, Man United. Yeah, I know he loves his football, doesn't he? He spends a lot of time these days. He's spotted a lot of football games with his kids, with his boys. Yeah, he seems very, um, very proud to be a a, a dad. You know. Yeah, and, and a good a husband, I think, isn't he? He's been married for yeah. many years, and um... yeah, he talks about how he he talks in, in interviews about how um, when he he was having children and just doing dad stuff, like the media were were very confused by it like well how can you be a dad you know you're a rock star yeah. he's like well you know <laughs> I'm a, I've got a family this is what I do yeah. and I love it good on you Rich yeah it's nice it's really nice alright well <laughs> yeah it's just a, this is so so disappointing I'm so I'm so sorry <laughs> no, no, no not at all no. no I think you nailed it it was um, yeah, it's not about it's not about how well you do is it it's about how well Jesse does yeah, well, I'm sure he's done better than one and a half out of five. Yeah, well, I'm not giving yeah. away half points to super fans. You're the only one no. that gets half points. Oh, that's nice. I get, I get special treatment. Yeah, you'll get special yeah, been, treatment on that, definitely. I've been listening to too much um, Lizard Gizzard and the and the Wizard of the, of the Lizard. <laughs> yeah, you've got a head full of Lizard Gizzards. <laughs> lizard Gizzards. Clean your head out, Matt, and we'll come back in a second and, and, and talk yes. to Jesse. Good idea. Okay, so our super fan this week is Jesse from St. Louis, uh, and maybe you, Matt, can tell us how uh, you got in touch with Jesse. Well, I normally go on Facebook and other forums and um, and ask if there's anyone interested, and I didn't get anywhere, so I thought I'll just go to a fan site and ask them, and they referred me to Jesse, and he is a music journalist, and I thought, oh, that's interesting, because I didn't know anybody knew, well, obviously they knew about the Verve in the States, but I didn't expect the superfan to come from there. So there there he is. He's a, he's a journalist, so he'll probably know more than me. Bring on Jesse. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you. Uh, thank you for, for joining us on your Saturday afternoon. My pleasure. Now, you contacted us, or we, we, we looked for uh, a Verve fan, and, and you reached out. Yeah, I uh, I've written a number of reviews for my friend's Verve website, and we were both longtime commenters on one of the two big Verve forums online, and uh, so he recommended me to y'all. I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting to find find a fan in in North America. I thought we were going to end up with someone in the UK. So tell us your history with with the band and where it all started with you. Yeah, uh, Bittersweet Symphony was a pretty massive hit over here. But at the time, I mean, I was a child of the 90s, but I was mainly listening to classical music and film scores and that kind of thing and only came into rock a couple of years later. And so I had never heard of the Verve. 
until I was on a, a trip to Italy and I turned on MTV Europe and there was the Bittersweet Symphony video. And it, it really kind of blew my mind because I'd been listening to a lot of Radiohead, Jeff Buckley, grunge, and it was all extremely depressing or whiny or people really dwelling on uh, all the things that made them feel small and marginal. Yeah. And then in the Bittersweet Symphony video, you just have uh, Richard and the gang by the end just charging down the street. Nothing's going to stop them. Um, I could just relate to that a lot more. It didn't make me uh, feel like a piece of shit. So <laughs> that was a nice change from Kid A and Amnesiac and all that. Did you ever manage to see them live? I did, yeah. Um, I didn't see them the first go around, but when they got back together in 2007, there was a brief American tour in 2008. So I saw them twice at Madison Square Garden um, and then I've seen Richard Ashcroft another maybe four or five times in his various solo tours. Brilliant. Well, I've got um, five questions for you. Uh, okay. the, the aim of the game is we, uh, we like to ask five questions to the fan to find out your level of fandom, find out if you're a super fan. Uh, and I must say, these questions, there's, there's a risk of these being quite difficult. I think, I think a band that didn't have a massively long career, uh, it's... it's it's either going to be very obvious questions, or I've really got to delve into the <laughs> delve into right. the uh, um, into the depths of things to to find some some interesting info. So we'll give it a shot, but I but I apologise if I've if I've gone too harsh. No, if I humiliate myself, it's my own fault. That's <laughs> the spirit. Okay, so question one: Why did the name change from Verve to the Verve? Oh well, that's relatively on the easy side so far. Um, there was a threatened lawsuit from the Verve record label as if there'd be some confusion between, you know, back jazz vinyls from the 60s versus the psychedelic rock band. So yeah. they, uh, they had to change it to the Verve. And the other suggestion, which may or may not have been a joke, was making the band name V-E-R-V. So still Verve. And they would have called the record Dropping an E for America. <laughs> right i didn't yeah. i didn't read that actually that's 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 nice i like that yeah it's somewhere in the bowels of one of my birth books they're just uh they're just really unlucky i think it's just you're right there's no one's going to mistake verve american jazz records that to verve the, the the uk psychedelic rock band well and at that time they had made no money whatsoever mm. i mean when it came to the legal hijinks around bittersweet symphony that was clearly a massive hit in the making and like there was there was cash on the table to grab yeah and and the, the verve record label thing is just it's a completely needless insult that yeah. achieves nothing well i think that's a good start one out of one hundred percent so far all right all but right I, I put the easiest one first okay. <laughs> just to lure you in so question two who provided the strings for six tracks on fourth? Uh, there's a, an Italian guy named uh, David Rossi, or Rossi, not sure how to pronounce it. Mm -hmm. um, he was uh, the touring violinist, at least in Verve's festival shows in 2008. And then he was a member of the, the side project, Black Submarine, uh, formerly known as Black Ships. Another time they had to change their name. 
All right, I didn't realize that he was uh, he was playing with with Black Submarine. Yeah, he had. I think they met him via Coldplay. I think he did yeah. like the the Viva La Vida strings in some of those. And uh, Nick McCabe always claimed, "Oh, we wanted to make them a full member of the band," but considering that they didn't bring back uh, Simon Tong, the second guitarist from Urban Hymns, I don't mm. really believe his testimony on that. And just a, just a quick one, because you touched upon it there, something else I wasn't aware of. So the the change, the name change from Black Ships to Black Submarine, was that a, a legal issue? Um, I think it was, but I'm not sure if it reached the point of a cease and desist letter or anything. They had uh, done a preview track or two on MySpace as the Black Ships, and maybe even their first EP. Um, but then I think they became aware that some minor indie band somewhere had already used it and they had a track called Black Submarine. So it wasn't a very difficult transition there. Interesting. God, the bad luck just continues, doesn't it? Yeah. I think uh, they used to call it Verve Voodoo for all the bad luck. Yeah, that was the term within the band. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. All right. Very good. Very impressed, Jesse. So question three, who is walking through the door on the cover of A Northern Soul? Um, I believe it's the drummer, Pete Salisbury. Very good. Yeah, they projected that giant image on the wall of a warehouse or something, and yeah. he's the one walking in. Oh, good work. I thought that was that was a really tough one. Well, I mean, I told you I'm an obsessive. <laughs> that's, what, that's why you had to come all the way to America to find Exactly, it. yeah. Yeah, I read a, a really fascinating interview with Brian Cannon. It's Brian Cannon, I think, isn't it? The, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, about that album and, feel, and the other work that he's done. I feel like I've paid for his kids' college educations because uh, he's really good about reprinting some of um, the old posters and promotional art. And, uh, oh, really? Yeah, I actually, um, I'm in communications and I was doing a historical project uh, for Columbia University about 10 years ago and I did my best to condense them we need to hire this aging rock and roll graphic designer to do our job. Um, but they didn't listen to me. Oh, what a shame. Well, that's brilliant. Three, three out of three so far. You're on your way. On your own okay, to super fandom. I'm relieved. Um, I think that was the hardest. I think question three was the hardest. So I think you've got it in the bag. Okay. <laughs> we'll keep them coming. Question four. What was the name of the free track made available for download? on the NME website in 2007? Well, I think there were actually two. I mean, you could be referring to the Thaw Sessions or uh, Mover, which was a re-recording of earlier. And I I guess I don't remember precisely which was at NME and which was at their website, but uh, the Thaw Sessions came out and then Mover a few weeks later. Yeah, the answer I had was the Thaw Sessions. I didn't know about Mover, but but you got the point anyway, so. Okay, good. The Thor sessions, I really enjoyed it, but I but I did feel it was a little deceiving because it's it's released prior to Fourth, and it's not a good representation of what is on Fourth. I don't feel. Yeah, it's uh, it depends. I guess it depends how deeply you want to read into the lyrics, but uh, I personally think that a lot of Richard's third solo album, Keys to the World. Um, the songs seem to refer to him losing faith in himself and having writer's block. 
And so when the Verve first got back together, they said, oh, it's for the joy of music. And there were always commercial considerations, obviously, but I think Richard was kind of out of ideas and at the end of his rope and really needed the guys. Mm. So at the beginning, when they recorded the Thaw sessions, and they claimed that they just walked in and pressed the record button, and that's what came out. And I think there was probably a little more rehearsal and composition mm. involved, um, just starting to pull that together. But it certainly is a more authentic representation of uh, the real Verve sound than yeah. most of what made the fourth album, at least. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely harks back to the Storm in Heaven and the Northern Soul, even. Well, and Richard just sounds so relieved, you know. Mm. He's, he sounds like, uh, you know, he's finally been released from his solo prison after all these years. Right. So it's weird to see him very swiftly go back to that about a year later. Yeah. Fantastic. Four out of four. You know, one one point away from from super fandom. Are super you going to send me a trophy or a crown or something? No, it doesn't really mean much. I mean, it's just a label, and you can you can call yourself super fan Jesse when you introduce yourself to friends and things like that. Well, it's the benefit is to my ego. Oh, there you perfect. go. Yeah, that's that's the only one we can claim. So, question five: What American alternative rock band did Verve support in the UK, Europe, and Canada through '92 and '93? I'm going to say the Smashing Pumpkins. And you're 100% correct. Okay. Wow. Yeah, now that would be a that'd be a gig I'd really like to see. I've just gotten into the Pumpkins a little more um, recently. I used to work at a alternative rock radio station, and I kind of, I didn't get it. And I think it was only when I started listening to more 80s music that I could sort of see where the Smashing Pumpkins were spiritually coming from. Mm. So. I read that uh, certainly at the UK and European gigs, well, especially at the European gigs, that the, 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 the Verve were much more popular than Smashing Pumpkins, and Billy Corgan was not happy about that. Well, you know, I find, uh, I mean, I, I'm from the Midwest in the US, and the way that uh, men tend to show affection is by, quote-unquote, taking the piss, mm. you know, the, the more that you're insulting somebody uh, without quite making them never want to speak to you again, like that's a sign of respect and brotherhood. Yeah. And I think the Verve were really quite a bit like that in a way that contributed to their internal tensions. But I'm sure that it was uh, kind of, they got themselves into lots of trouble socially with all of their bombast and arrogance and the Americans just didn't get it. Um, apparently, uh, Wayne Coyne of the Flaming Lips just despises Richard, like, oh, really? has been known to occasionally go off on interviews like that son of a bitch Ashcroft. So, I mean, I, I, I love Richard's uh, epic sort of bipolar psychodrama that he puts into his anthems, but I'm not sure if I'd want to hang out with the guy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you nailed it. You are indeed a super fan. Five out of five. Fantastic. And I was really worried that these were really tough questions, but you didn't falter on any of them. Well, I think this is maybe the one act that I could pull this off on. It really is a benefit when somebody's had such a short career. Yeah, yeah. It did make the, the, the research for the last two weeks a lot easier. Do you cling on to any hope that you're going to see them again one day? Um, I had more hope a couple of years ago. Um, 
Ashcroft had done this disastrous pseudo solo album called United Nations of Sound uh, a couple years after Fourth. It was his first return to the solo career, but it was with a rap producer and it was, he called it his hip hop soul album. And there were one or two tracks which were kind of what one might describe as hip hop soul, but most of it was just really overwrought and underwritten. And it's, it's a midlife crisis on record. Right. And it really tanked whatever momentum he'd had coming out of fourth. And so I was hopeful maybe 2014, 2015, that maybe he'd swallow his pride and get him together. But since he seems to have emerged as a pretty top draw festival act, um, and unfortunately, his touring band is is just terrible. Um, oh, really? Yeah. When he plays by himself, um, it's the old Richard. He's as compelling as ever. So, yeah, I mean, as the money has started pouring in more and more, and I guess until he started uh, protesting and refusing to play shows with vaccination requirements, um, he was just raking it in. And I don't see ultimately why he would go through the stress of uh of getting back with these guys who he just yeah. clearly can't get along with yeah well thank you for for all your insights okay sounds great this was fun thanks jesse have a good one all right take care okay thanks jesse i knew it'd be the underdog there chris that's yeah. uh yeah that's the way to do it five out of five uh, it's, it's just testament to how good you are at uh, uh, sourcing superfans. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. At least, at least I can do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think we should get like a, a trophy or a prize? <laughs> although, if, although if they're in the states or New Zealand, like last time, then that's gonna that's gonna be a bit more of a logistical nightmare, wouldn't it? Yeah, we'll have to have to add it to Patreon membership. <laughs> a trophy. <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're a super fan level on Patreon and you become a super fan by answering five questions, we'll send you a trophy. Yeah, and we'll we'll actually like we'll actually fly over to you and uh, give it to you ourselves. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> How much are we charging for for top top tier on Patreon? <laughs> uh, oh well, well maybe maybe not, maybe not. <laughs> but I, but I thought that my questions were really hard actually for this one. But he didn't um, he didn't seem bothered by any of them. He knew no. knew them all without even thinking. No, amazing, very yeah, good, really good, strong effort, Jesse. Good job. Well done. Good job. Thank you for that. And as always, there's there's additional content that we'll we'll save up for a for a bonus episode for for our Patreon listeners. I will say that um, Jesse had some uh, some comments about Ocean Color Scene, which I kept quiet on um, in the call because I like Ocean Color Scene. But, oh, uh, what, does, does he not like them? I got the impression he didn't like them. Um, he, he used ocean colour seed as a derogatory term <laughs> a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Yeah, well, bit, I like ocean colour scene a lot. So, Jesse, we love you, but we won't get you back for the ocean colour scene episode. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we contracted uh, Jesse ourselves. We were looking for a, um, for a Verve fan. But if you are a super fan of, of anyone, you can get in touch with us on one of our various channels. Uh, did we get any feedback on Facebook or anywhere like that this week? Well, we've got <laughs> we got another feedback from um Shieldsy. Who, uh, of the show. Yeah, who he, he's commented on the on the last couple of episodes. 
so this was about the Mugway episode. He said, don't know enough about these. Complete opposite of your super fan you had on. Yeah, who got five out of five, by the way? Uh, spoilers. Uh, he heard a couple of albums and enjoyed. Soundtrack of 000 particularly. Best show in years. I, uh, I assume he's talking about 000 as the best show in years and not our show. Not super um, cast being the best show but, in years. But you never know. You never know. So thanks, Shieldsy. Thanks, Shieldsy. I got an email from... Um... From John, who was a super fan on that episode, actually. All right. And he said, just listen to the Mogwai episode yesterday. Really good. Really nice hearing your thoughts on the band. Thinking during my listening, here's some good Mogwai stories that I wish I'd had the presence of mind to swing the conversation to during the recording. So he's got mm. three stories here that he didn't, he didn't get around to mentioning, but he'd like to mention. So number one, Barry, when using his vocoder, he sings nonsense. <laughs> but apparently one time he absentmindedly started singing insulting things about someone in the audience. Wow. And then he realised that the whole band was staring at him because the vocal effect hadn't been turned all the way up and so everyone could hear what he was saying. <laughs> oh my days. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's um, hilarious. And number two is at an infamous 2001 show in Paris, their sound engineer got in a fight with the bar's sound engineer for overshooting France's decibel limit, causing a punch-up and one of the band jumping off stage to join in. Wow. Yeah, he says there is also a bootleg of all this happening. Well, that's I'm sure that's a collector's item, yeah. isn't it? Um, just, a, just a recording of people beating each other up. Yeah, yeah. any Skid Row gig, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and his third story was uh, the cover of The Hawk is Howling. Mm. Was Aidan Moffat just searched eBay for a painting of an eagle, and this was the one that he bought. <laughs> all right, okay. <laughs> but that's quite cool. I like the cover of that album. It's just yeah. a hawk. Yeah, it's not. Um, or it's an, an eagle, maybe. I don't know. I'd put it on my wall, I think. And then lastly, so still on, on John's email here, um, he said, also, I listened to uh, the My Vitriol album you recommended. <sighs> I know, sorry. Really good, kind of an alternative... Sorry, I should put emphasis on that bit. He said, really good, kind of an alternative universe muse. I don't know how I feel about that. Like, a, a few people have said that to me in the past. And um, I think in their early days, maybe, yeah, maybe... Maybe that's what he means by alternative universe muse. Like muse started yeah. off like that and could have gone this way, but they chose not to. They chose to go, I don't know, a bit more yeah. mainstream. Or... But then, within an alternate universe, muse could list, could sound like anything, couldn't they? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, alternative universe muse could sound like Barbara Streisand, couldn't they? Yeah, yeah, with like uh, weird um, kazoo's playing in the background. Yeah. So actually, it's not a compliment at all, John. It's just a. It's just a fact. <laughs> Anyway, I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, I'm glad you had a listen, and um, and thanks for getting in touch as well, and thanks for your time on the last episode. Yeah, just for the record, I'm not. I'm not massive on my vitriol. I don't mind them. Uh, I just that you know this isn't like a, a shared um, experience um, no, with me and Chris. If we were both mad about my vitriol, then this this podcast would just become a it would just become a my vitriol podcast, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that's who not what people that? have signed up for. Yeah, you'd listen to that, wouldn't you? I'd listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> good grief anyway <laughs> if you want to contact us you can email us like John did on superfancast at outlook.com you can Facebook <laughs> us like Shieldsy does on um, what are we on Facebook I don't know superfancast <laughs> that makes sense yeah yeah so so um, yeah please follow us we um, we post funny facts and interesting videos on there yeah give us your feedback all that stuff. And on Twitter, it's superfancast1. Yeah, please get in touch and let us know what you're thinking about the show. Give us your recommendations. 
Um, just say hi. Just anyone say hi so we know that there's people out there. Because when no yeah, one's contacting yeah. us, it's hard, it's hard for us to know what, what the world thinks. But we can see we can see those numbers. People are listening. We can see the numbers, but it could just be yeah. it could just be the same person. It could just be one person <laughs> just listening really to us. Obsessed. <laughs> it could just be fifty times. <laughs> wow. Well, we'd have, we'd love to meet you if it, if it is you. Yeah. Um, and and also, if there's any weird bands that we should listen to and talk about at the start of the episode, then please recommend, especially ones that have got great names. Yeah. Yeah. Matt will always take a recommendation on a, on a band name. I'll generally take any shoegaze. I'm willing to listen to any sugar. I'm willing to listen to anything, really. We like... What else do we like? I'm open to anything. How do you feel about bands with masks? Yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind. I mean, as long as they don't take themselves too seriously. Right. You know, I mean, like I like Guar. Is it Guar? <laughs> yeah, Guar. Did yeah, you see I love that their... fact I posted up on Twitter about Guar? Yeah, they were originally called, like, Guar. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. that's true. I mean, well, I mean, yeah. it's true enough for me to have wanted to, to post it, but... Uh, yeah, their original name was was like loads of A's, R's, and exclamation marks. So. Yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind masks as long as they don't get super pretentious. Uh, a band that I do like, and and I probably should have said this at the start, is is the Cybertronic Spree, and oh, right. they're all dressed up as characters from Transformers. The, <laughs> right, the, wow. the original didn't 80s, see that coming when you started the sentence. The original eighties cartoon. So they're dressed up as Transformers and they're singing classic cheesy cheesy tv theme tunes wow um and they all they all look awesome like really good costumes and they, and they sound great really cool that's cool yeah check that out it's just fun oh yeah and also on the subject of masks and costumes there's a um a black sabbath tribute band called mac sabbath and they're dressed up as characters from mcdonald's <laughs> Like the Hamburglar and Ronald McDonald, and they 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 play Black Sabbath songs, but they change the lyrics so they're about fast food and burgers. <laughs> you, you best you best uh, you know end the episode before I go on another tangent. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. We look forward to you joining us again in a couple of weeks for the next deep dive, which will be Eurythmics. So forward to that. Stay safe, keep rocking. See you next time. Toodaloo. Bye-bye.